Well, at one point you've got it, then you lose it, and it's gone forever, all walks of life. Georgie Best, for example, had it, lost it. Or David Bowie, or Lou Reed. Lou Reed, some of his solo stuff's no bad. No, it's not bad, but it's not great either, is it? And in your heart, you kind of know that although it sounds all right, it's actually just shite. <laughs> so who else? Charlie Nicholas, David Niven, Malcolm McLaren, okay, Elvis okay, Presley. Okay, okay, so what is the point you're trying to make? All I am trying to do, Mark, is to help you understand that the name of the rose is merely a blip on an otherwise uninterrupted downward trajectory. And what about the untouchables? I don't rate that at all. Despite the Academy Award? That means fuck all. It's a sympathy vote. So, we all get old, we can't hack it anymore and that's it? Yeah. Episode 95 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Any show news? Show news this week? No show news. Uh, we watched The Way Way Back, which had the actress from Muriel's Wedding, Muriel, in it. I, I forget her name. but uh, Oh, yeah, the, the Australian woman. How was yeah. it? Uh, it was enjoyable. I like Sam Rockwell, so that uh, jive. I don't have too much to report about it. You know, mm-hmm. coming of age. All well, that Sam Rockwell's always good. Always reminds me of an old movie of his that I really liked, Box of Moonlight. I don't know if you ever saw it. No, nah, never saw it. I might put no. it on the list someday. Sort of a no. pensive look at getting older. Oh yeah, that uh, that would suit me fine. It's it's all about getting older right now. There's a scene where uh, the main character played by Totoro finds a gray hair, his first gray hair. Oh, Jesus. I found my first gray hair at, like, 22. I don't know about you. Mm. But. Um, I don't really have gray hair. Really? Mm-mm. You've avoided it? Well, every once in a while, there's sort of a silvery one in my uh, beard, but I'm not calling it gray. It's silver. Oh, no, I'm graying out, man. I'm silver foxing it. Uh, although, I don't quite have the uh, Roger Sterling of Mad Men sheen that I would like, but, you know, working on it. Well, maybe uh, you should try Just for Men's Touch of Grey. I'll move you right up the corporate ladder. It'll put you in a management position so fast your head will spin. I think the only thing I can really master looking good-wise is maybe a little bit of that Wolfman Jack kind of silver in the beard bit. But other than that, uh, I've, I've given up the ghost on my uh, my good looks. It's, mm. it's just, it just happens, you know. It's, life is just a series of compromises. And... Uh, Anyway, okay, on to uh, more uh, interesting news. <laughs> There's another piece of news? And, and, and no, we don't really have any news. Oh, great. Uh, show, news, show news is just almost a, uh, a, a kind of a running joke with us, right? I mean, Yeah, that's, that's the joke that you know, we're just stuck in the middle of our uh, 30s and 40s work-a-day lifestyle where if we're not going to work, we got something to fix up around the house. That's more or less it. That's uh, existence. That's your middle-aged existence. So listen up, kids. Cautionary tale. Actually, there's no cautionary tale about it. You're just going to end up there. And uh, T.S., that's the way it's or, supposed to be. Well, you could die from a heroin overdose, which seems uh, yes. part of uh, Renton's plan, even though it doesn't right. quite work out. So this week, our film is Train Spotting, 1996, uh, plot rundown. Mark Renton, a young man with few prospects and fewer ambitions, lives in economically depressed Edinburgh. Like most of his friends, Renton is a heroin addict who loves the drug's blissful nothingness. Financing his habit also provides excitement and challenges that his life otherwise lacks. Renton's two best friends are also junkies. Sick Boy, a snappy dresser obsessed with James Bond, and Spud, a guileless nerd who suggests Pee Wee Herman's debauched cousin. I don't know about that one. Uh, Renton and his pals also hang out with Begbie. Uh, borderline psychotic who loathes junkies even though he drinks like a fish. After one too many brushes with the law, Renton kicks heroin and moves to London where he finds a job, a flat, and something close to peace of mind. However, Sick Boy, Begbie, and Spud all arrive at his doorstep on the trail of a big score leading Renton back into drugs and crime. It's a plot rundown. 
So, what was your experience when you first shot up heroin? Oh, man, let me tell you. Uh, you know, I had the, the perfect junkie squat. It was uh, had the, the, the disgusting, moldering mattress on the floor, which I think is a requirement if you're a junkie. You can't ever have a bed with a bed frame. The mattress has to be flat on the floor. Along with the lamp that's on the floor, I mean, they couldn't. They couldn't paper. even get a futon together. Not even get a futon. Couldn't even get that mattress like a few inches off the ground. You have to throw it right on the floor. They had a bunch of uh, cinder blocks. They could have made a little pad for it. I know I, this film relishes in sort of that junky chic. I almost want to call it that. Uh, it's almost kind of bohemian a little bit. You know, these like how. Oh, who's the guy? Tommy. Tommy, who refrains from heroin use for mm-hmm. half the picture. And his apartments, you know, it's kind of like a younger 20 man, 20s kind of apartment, you know, uh, places like you'd live when you're in college. But then it just turns into this just flat-out junkie squat once, when, mm-hmm. once he gets AIDS and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know how it happens, but it's like his heroin habit just started peeling the wallpaper off the wall and <laughs> well, soaking the place in urine and body fluids. I, it just it's Is that what happens? Is it like you just – I mean, obviously, you become obsessed with heroin, so you don't give a shit about anything else. But uh, it seems like entropy just gets a hold of you so quickly on heroin that uh, it's a runaway train. Well, I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, without constant upkeep. I mean, just think about all the time you spend dork around your house, keep it in good order. Just imagine if you didn't do that for a whole year, but you still lived there. If I didn't, like, throw away, take out containers. You never cleaned the bathroom. Even if the the toilet overflowed, big deal, it'll dry up. I mean, yeah. everybody's place would turn into a total mess. You didn't fix that drip under the sink. Uh, my child would die of starvation. Mm-hmm. You never cleaned out your refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's what's you know going on in the movie, uh, especially in the couple of flats where, where um, they do heroin, which is sort of, uh, I guess it's the guy who, who deals them junk. Mother Superior? Yeah, Mother Superior. Is he their dealer? And he has a yeah. wife, right? Who? No. Uh, no, he doesn't have a wife. Well, the baby, Don. Uh, that's just a it, friend of uh, of the of Renton and Sick Boy and uh, Spud. I mean, it, it right. says that she's sort of a woman that they've all sort of been with and is sort of a friend. I mean, with the, with the, with the child that was actually Sick Boy's child. Oh, uh, it was Sick Boy's kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right, because he kind of has a break there yeah he gets uh, all bent out of shape when that kid dies in the crib right right mm-hmm. yeah you know I, some people we will yeah yeah no it's fucking come on man up jesus christ <laughs> uh you know rose and i watched this good yeah rose and i uh watched it and she thought it was like a great movie when she was uh in college and uh she went uh, for a year to study abroad in Northern England. I forget which university, and this came out at the time. And uh, it's kind of the height of cool, and she thought it was a cool movie, and maybe it was the soundtrack because it has a real pumping soundtrack. And and then, like, we watched it again, and she just said, why the fuck did I ever like this movie? <laughs> I don't really get it. And so what I'm wondering is, is the film uh, kind of a time and the place, sort of a youth culture snapshot Mixed with a little uh, drug use taboo that well, kind of gave I'm, it an edge. I didn't know if I would like this film uh, because I have gotten older and more cynical about life. And I'm not really as worried as I used to be about the pointlessness of existence. I'm just sort of resigned to it. I But I this film still seemed very, very current. Maybe it's just because I'm still a little wrapped up in that angsty 20. Maybe there's a little bit of that 20s feeling left in me. But did your did Rose express exactly why the reason she it no longer had anything to say to her were? Um, I, I think she just hadn't watched it in so long that it was. I mean, it's, this is about being young and youthful with like sort of that reckless abandon that comes with youth that uh, you still got enough time in the world to correct the wrongs of today and, 
you know, like as the Renton character goes on about there at the end about, uh, I'm going to be just like you, you know, he makes that comment there at the end and then he's going to turn it all around and, and, and all that. And so I guess, uh, with that kind of time on your side, uh, you, I guess can kind of run off into the ditch and explore the ditch and the gutter and all its trappings, even with a heroin addiction. And somehow, uh, at some point in the future, pull yourself out of it, shape up, and uh, conform, you know. So it's like but, an act of but, rebellion. But that's not really an honest – I mean, Renton's not being honest with us at the end. He's just going back into his fanciful lifestyle that he'll actually get his shit together. But I don't see where in the film it actually tells you that he really is going to get his shit together. My my guess is he's going to continue to have run-ins with crime and drug use that he's never really going to be able to shake. He's just always going to try to shake it, which is maybe all we could really ask of him, but I don't see well, where but, he's... Mm-hmm. But that but that almost doesn't really matter, because if if you're talking about living in the present sort of youthful indiscretion where you... You don't think that far ahead, and and you're unrealistic as a young person. At least I was. Uh, even as I kind of moved into college and had a little bit of taste of the real world, I think uh, what I pictured of the future was unrealizable, or at least what I wasn't really uh, willing to accept as as a reality. Not that my reality is bad at all today, but I think I had more nobler visions of myself in the future. And so as a young person, you, you can get really unrealistic really fast about, uh, you know, your middle-aged self. And uh, maybe he was being sincere. Maybe he was being, uh, like, honest that, yeah, you know, I'm just going to turn this shit around. Why can't I? No big deal, you know. Uh, but there's also, know. there's a, there's a there's a bigger undercurrent in the film. And maybe this is why... Rose found the characters inherently unlikable and no longer have anything to say to her. And I don't know about how it took you, but you, you can talk about that in a second. Is that what's the point of getting it all together? Who really cares if you become a positive member of society? Is that really something we should strive for as individuals? Or should we just really embrace something we love and let the chips fall where they may? I'm not really certain about that. I mean, I've tried to sort of get my shit together as it is, but I'm not happy about it. And I think it may be better just to live for today and fuck your future. Your future can go fuck itself and the rest of society can go fuck itself, too. Is it really that great of a thing to have your mortgage and have your car payment and have your retirement fund all lined up? Is it really a good thing? No, no, I think I, I, I don't think that's necessarily what is arguing. It may have well have been a middle finger to what he was going on about there at the you know at the end. Uh, but uh, middle finger or not, it was a bravado. At least it was a youthful bravado that, uh, like you said, uh, isn't necessarily tainted by our level of cynicism here in middle age. That uh, you know makes us a little bit more resigned or nihilistic. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you can still keep that bravado. I mean, just look at Begbie. He's got all the bravado of a young man, even though he is middle-aged. Is and he middle-aged or is he just a kind of a little older? Well, I have a feeling he's well into his 30s. He's at least 35. Yet, it costs him quite a bit to maintain that bravado. In that willingness to have indiscretions, as you say. But it there is possible. An, there's an interesting note I read in the trivia where uh, there's, an, I guess, an undercurrent. And it got left out of a few bits of the movie. I think it may be a drop scene or two where Begbie is actually a closeted homosexual, unwilling to come out with his sexuality and is violent because of it. And uh, there's the scene where he uh, is in the back of the car with the tranny. You know, mm-hmm. and loses his shit. Um, doesn't beat up the tranny. Strangely, I thought he would, but uh, um, that scene's in there. I guess maybe as a nod to that idea that didn't really get fully realized in the film. 
So no, I guess exactly. what what I just I don't see it. What is it about his personality or what he says? I mean, maybe it's in the book at more length is what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but I don't see it communicated in his behaviors in the movie at all. I mean, he's disgusted by making out and feeling up a transsexual woman. But I mean, you said it so yourself that the idea of having sex with a transsexual sickens you and you're not a homosexual or you're not i don't have latent homosexuality so it doesn't seem that weird that a lot of straight well, guys find it pretty unappetizing to be feeling up a hard wiener now and again <laughs> and that, it was a theory entertained for begbie's character it wasn't i'm not pushing the idea that much it was something i think it's I a homophobic so. theory is what it is yeah yeah and well probably so i do anyway. like begbie this is the first time I was uh, ever exposed to uh, Robert Carlyle, and I fucking love this character. I mean, he's just absolutely amazing. Nobody move! Oh, lassie got glassed, and no cunt leaves here till we find out what cunt did it. Who the fuck are you? I love, I just, I, he, it's, it's weird that these non-drug users like Begbie and Tommy hang out with these heroin addicts. It is sort of an unusual, I mean, not that heroin changes you fundamentally who you are. It certainly makes series of compromises and priority shifts in your life, which are pretty profound. But you can still have right. friends outside of the heroin lifestyle. But Begbie's a one fucking crazy misfit, isn't he? Yeah. No, he's, uh, I mean, he would be, uh, I guess, your quintessential soccer hooligan. I'm sure he, uh, that was probably something that he would enjoy, you know. He just loves uh, to mix the shit up. I mean, that's all he wants. I mean, the movie says that's his own kind of sensory addiction, that he needs the excitement of a fight. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he needs... uh, It's not heroin, but uh, it's some kind of violent thrill, some sort of edge. It it serves the same purpose to have an escape from the reality of the world. I mean, sure. I'm always I'm always so pleased with these people are just so happy about life. They're just always going around <laughs> excited and a big smile on their face. And they wake up in the morning, and they go, hot dog, I'm going to go to work and make a difference in this world. Oh, and by the way, this weekend, we're volunteering to clean up the ravine down by such and such a city. I'm like, oh, I just want to strangle the life out of you. I want to. I don't. I don't. Well, I don't. Tr- I just want to strangle yeah. your neck until you die just to make you stop smiling, you son of a bitch. <laughs> And I do it. I do I it completely out of. Um, uh, I guess I'm just jealous. It's out of jealousy that I hate them. I so wish. Yeah, no, I, that I love the world for what it is. I just wish I did so so deeply. Well, those kind of people that you're talking about, for starters, I was like, well, are they are they churchy? A lot of them are churchy. A lot of them, you get that sort of church vibe. You know, they're really up with people, super happy. Uh, and so right there, I don't trust them because I think they're completely indoctrinated. I completely think they're like cult, cult infused, uh, uh, pseudo positives. I don't believe that they're actually, that's their personality. I think they're, they're, they're brainwashed, you know, but that's my opinion of religion. And so I always yeah. think that first of all, that they got I, some, I don't know if it's of, so much religion. I mean, I see it in the atheists down at the university, which people are just excited about science. And look at all the new stuff we're figuring out. This is so great. And I, you know that the NIH is being bled of funds. And, you know, I, there's people that are just always looking on the bright side of things. I don't know if it's necessarily tied to religion, but you certainly get the Oakley Dokley crowd. No, no, no. But, but uh, yeah, I checked that off the list. I go, is this person religious? And then if they are, then I kind of like uh, just easily dismiss that their personality is owed to them from from a fantasy or a fairy tale. I'm like, ah, okay. But then I look a little bit harder and I just don't, I just the up with people crowd. I'm with you. I, I, I don't trust them. And I think that's because I'm a pessimist at heart and I like to never be surprised, uh, which can kind of come back to bite me because I don't give a lot of folks the benefit of the doubt. You know, I just, I just assume the most cynical, pessimistic worldview. And then I never get disappointed and the news never slaps me around. And, and I never say, Oh, how horrible. Oh, I mean, how could somebody do that? And that never, that never ever 
hits me upside the head. I'm never surprised at the level of selfishness and depravity that the human species exhibits. Uh, but that's always in my head. I have like an apocalyptic worldview. So I'm with you. I, but I think it comes from a different source. I, 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 I'm not jealous of those people as I am just completely untrustworthy of them. And uh, I question, like, how how did you get to this point? You know, it's weird. I, I, I think I think you can get to that kind of level of of maybe involvement and community if from a different means, maybe a more genuine, you know, less disingenuous means uh, than this sort of faux community that people like to uh, exhibit that I know it's just it's politeness. It's it's not really even. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what it is, but it creeps I just me can't out. believe like that these really happy people are really putting up a front. I mean, if I think about it, if I would put up a front of 24-7 of being happy and excited about life, I'd go crazy. And just the, the know that there's people out there that have such strength that they can put up a beautiful facade at all times just makes my head spin. I mean, we're talking about these feelings of dissatisfaction and pessimism because we're talking about characters who have such a profound feeling of pessimism about the world that they turn to a real classic form of escapism, which is opiates. Right. Right. And none of, neither of us have turned to opiates, which is sort of interesting. I think I'd really love heroin. I'm sure. Boy, I'll tell you if I had like, I don't know, a couple million in the bank from some sort of inheritance, I would have such an incredible heroin habit. It would make your mind spin. I, the, well, the, the pro- first thing I do is go score some premium heroin and get right on it. Well, the problem with heroin, though, is that you quickly go to a point where you just use heroin to feel like you used to feel, that the high is completely gone, completely worn off, and then you're just sick all the time. And I would do get, it anyways. I wouldn't think get, that far in advance. <laughs> I'd only be thinking about today and tomorrow, which is how I normally. Well, live my life. no, 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 no. But but you you uh, and so what happens is is to to get a high, you know, you you do more and more, and then until you eventually OD, which is what happens to Renton in the film, where he uh, d- he does a ton of heroin, and uh, you know. Well, I think that's the fundamental difference between you and me. You would go. That's a bad path to go down to. And I would take that path. Well, no, 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 no. It's not even that. It's just foresight. You know how it's going to end. It's pretty yeah, obvious. Yeah, but it, you can know, but you can choose to care or not. And you would care. Well, I mean, you just, would you want to feel sick all the time? Would you want to feel... You can go to rehab in a year or so. No, but it doesn't work that way. And and would you want, like, the, the worst thing I think about heroin, the thing that I think I from I've heard some... I guess some, uh, you know, firsthand accounts via podcasts and whatnot about people who are recovering from heroin addictions. And the absolute worst thing about heroin is just that need to score all the time and where you're going to get it. Like you can't plot out your next three days uh, without sort of figuring out where am I going to get it? Who am I going to get it from? Can you travel to a city for three days? Well, you have to find somebody there who's going to give it to you. You have to go into some really wretched, nasty corner of that town and score some marginal junk to feel just to keep yourself from getting sick. And, well, that's why that's and, why I would only do it if I had a bunch of money in the bank and no responsibilities. Because so, like, if you're being like rich Richards, would smooth maybe, all that stuff out, right? It wouldn't matter because you could always just buy yourself out of all those issues <laughs> the only thing you couldn't buy yourself out of is the feeling shitty but you really could because then you can just go into rehab and be quite honest so, with you, you could you can instantly detox from heroin no i know you can do that but then there's sort of a psychological down that uh is hard to recover from and is a challenge to to keep straight i don't know why you'd want to do that to yourself because you just know that regardless of how much money you have you're going to get sick. You're going to feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to do you're going to endanger yourself with overdose. Yeah. I, I To me, I just would see all that laid out and I would be like, ah, oh, fuck that lifestyle. I know. What but the thing is, you're not focusing on, Matthew, is how great you're going to feel when you shoot up with heroin. I mean, people have talked about how amazing it feels and I would love that. Well, I mean, it's the same reason I don't go to Krispy Kreme and buy a half a dozen dozen donuts and gobble them on the way to work i mean there's a reason i don't do that what what is what is that reason 
All right, so maybe that's the fundamental analogy that uh, differs between you and me. So I, I think so, and I, I I won't do it because I know I would end up on the street. So you know, I do look forward, right? But well, I think there you I go. have. I mean, isn't I have that certain, enough? Yeah, but if if that wasn't the case, if my life wouldn't be ruined in that sense, because I'd have to turn to crime to score, right? right? Just like. Uh, you see Renton and his buddies in this film. And I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, but if the if the costs were less, I would do it, is what I'm saying. So do you think this movie captures what it is to be a young uh, junkie? Do you think well, it, it gets, with the sense of humor, it, it kind of deals a sense of humor, which maybe makes this film more watchable? Than well, it's, there's nothing humorous. There's nothing humorous around the drug use in this film. The humor all comes from witty dialogue. Witty dialogue, yeah, that's kind of tainted with black humor. Mm-hmm. You know, they're uh, ne- they're never joking about heroin in this movie. I mean, I guess they, they do only in roundabout ways, but they never joke that her- they never say heroin's a joke, and the price you pay for being a heroin addict is a joke. They make jokes surrounding like uh, the way that Sick Boy also got off junk the same times as Rent, just a just a as a big F you <laughs> which I thought was funny, but the costs yeah. they don't joke about. They don't joke about, you know, how it destroys his family lives and, and tears his parents apart. I mean, the fact that he's stealing from his parents and stealing a battery out of a car, which some motherfucker did to me at two in the morning one time. I'll tell you that. Was when? A pain in the ass. when was that? Oh, this was a few years ago. I uh, parked in like in a free oh, parking zone in some dark that. area of the U district. And st- I was working till like two in the morning and I came out and, fucking my window was busted out and my fucking battery was missing I'll tell somebody you. stole a fucking battery out of here. that is low that's yeah. pretty low shit man it's pretty like, disappointing that's not even like smashing and looking for an ipod you're like toting around 20 pounds of of uh i don't know lead and battery acid and shit i mean for for what well, the worst part was me taking taking a new battery on the fucking public transit and then walking five blocks to my car <laughs> to replace it the next day after a late night of trying to get back home. Dude, don't you get don't you have AAA? Just call those uh, pushy AAA battery guys. No, and, I didn't have uh, AAA, so I was sort of stuck. Oh, uh, those AAA guys. You know, they. Uh, I had a couple of dead batteries, and then the AAA guys come out and give me a jump, and they have a special truck designated for batteries and it's just the hard sell you get there and you just want them to go you know my batteries just melted can you get me a new battery which they did for me i had to do a completely mm-hmm. dead battery and they just i bought a battery off the dude and it was fine and he took the old one away and it was perfect but another time i knew i had an okay battery but i had just left my dome light on for three days yeah uh, and i just needed a a fucking jump and, you know, he put, like, his multimeter on there and, you know, gave me a bunch of, well, this, you know, the chart. It's like, it's like you're going to have a lot of tough decisions to make here. I'm like, no, I don't. Just fucking here. <laughs> Just jump, jump me and leave me the fuck alone. And that battery lasted for another three years. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Well, that would have, that's what I could have used, but I'm afraid I didn't have uh, AAA. Uh, I'm sorry, time. man. That's uh, Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, apparently that's a thing and uh, probably was stolen by a drug user. It, it very well might have been. I, I don't know. I couldn't, couldn't imagine what you want to do with an old ba- car battery, but yeah, I don't even know what they're so, worth. I mean, they cost 50 bucks new, but I mean, what are they worth when they're all used? I haven't a clue. Who so buys them? Right. Where do you, where do you, who's, <laughs> who's buying hot batteries? Triple A. Those are I mean, probably selling them. <laughs> I guess, yeah, maybe he's got to deal with the homeless guys around an area. The guy <laughs> drives the battery truck around. It's just sort of this cycle where the batteries just cycle through the cars, and he takes a little bit off the top every time. Yeah, they just uh, they 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 stash all their stolen batteries behind some dumpster, and then the AAA guy comes by and for refurb. So okay, so you're right. This film doesn't really uh, make fun. It doesn't add any humor to the whole heroin thing it's it adds humor around it and maybe the absurdity of heroin use it kind of adds some humor too um but then there's some pretty stark brutal scenes that 
the, the film serves up like the whole Don dying in the crib and then Renton's first instinct is to go shoot up and mm-hmm. so does Don's mom. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty intense, pretty fucked up scene right there. Uh, there's no real humor surrounding it other than the absurdity of the situation. Uh, but I think for me, even when I watched that film, it was just sort of like a little bit of shock that this film serves up. And in the 90s, and the early 90s with Quentin Tarantino, that kind of seemed to, to to make things more edgy and strangely more palatable to a younger audience. And I think, you know, the indie film thing, and I think that's why this movie really was as popular as it was. Um, that and it, it kind of added an interesting take on British youth culture that folks in the States aren't necessarily aware of or privy to. Uh, you know, uh, interesting music. You know, a lot of good music was coming out of Britain in the mid-90s. Uh, and this film serves it up, kind of mixed with some old stuff like Lou Reed, which is sort of funny. They they talk about Lou Reed there at the beginning because he just died. Yeah, he did like just last, die. Yeah, I don't know what they. What was the what was the gist? What were they What were they exactly saying about Lou? Well, I mean, bit? the beginning of the film, they're talking about Sean Connery, which Sick Boy um, talks about all the time. Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your shape? <laughs> Yeah, he's always got the uh, the Sean Connery. So they're talking about Sean Connery's career and how everybody really does their. And we've talked about this before on, on podcasts. Is uh, everybody really does their best work when they're young? And if you sort of miss doing your best work when you're young, you're sort of fucked. Because even if you do your best work when you're young, you're fucked. Um, right. It's just part of life, you know. People peter out, and they're just talking about all these artists who. While they may do okay work, they never reach the heights they did when they were full of energy. It's just it's this weird sort of um, sort of sad aspect of life. And they were talking about that, which just goes in. Well, and to tell you the truth, the Untouchables Oscar was sort of a consolation prize to Sean Connery. I must mm-hmm. admit, it was mm-hmm. definitely unworthy. Yeah, it was, but that's sort of the Oscars for you in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I mean, and it, they mentioned in the name of the rose, which is a, a favorite book of mine, and I enjoyed the movie. I have to do it sometime. Oh, was um, he in that one? I didn't know. Yeah, Sean Connery plays the main role in that. Uh, okay. So, what the hell are we talking about? Uh, fuck. Oh, we were talking about, I was talking about sort of uh, the the time period which Trainspotting mm. was released. And, well, uh, I didn't really see that it was really stuck in that time. I mean, heroin's still a big drug. If anything, heroin's come back big this decade. And because the prices have dropped so much, because actually the international war on drugs was pretty good at stamping out heroin production. Well, the Taliban was actually pretty good at stamping out a heroin Yeah, they were production. great. That's why they were our buddies. <laughs> but uh, now, I mean, heroin just pours out of Afghanistan. And, I think that's uh, something like 80% of the heroin, heroin that is used on the streets comes from Afghanistan. Yeah, and you can imagine that, you know, before the the great and just Afghanistan war after 2001 (laughs) happened, that imagine how small heroin production was. It was a fifth of what it is now. And you can imagine how what that did to street prices. Oh, yeah. Now it's just like, yeah, you're right, uh, because the Taliban were doing a good job of of quashing the world. They pretty much stopped all heroin production in Afghanistan. And then we had to put a kibosh on that shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is fine now, with me. Uh, yeah, I guess it's fine with, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're kind of a, a more social libertarian that, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, but it's funny now because now we have, I was reading some news article about how U.S. soldiers are guarding poppy fields as they're being harvested. Uh, and the, you know, there's some obviously extenuating circumstance behind that, but I just found that completely ironic that you have U.S. servicemen protecting, uh, opium harvests in Afghanistan right now, which, uh, sort of a crack up. Because that's probably what the Taliban wants to target because that's the money that funds the non-Taliban power centers probably. In well, that and, yeah, I mean, non-aligned. Uh, warlords make their money off of heroin. And yeah, you're exactly right. But it's interesting because uh, how much our DEA profits off of uh, heroin production and heroin use and why a lot of uh, opposition towards 
the legalization of marijuana in the state of Washington is based on the fact that DEA is going to is at risk of losing some of its federal funds, and as a result, the contractors that supply the DEA with equipment and manpower a lot of times are going to lose out. And so it's interesting when you have such a huge industrial complex based around drug enforcement uh, at the risk of having it legalized and their reaction to that. It's, it's, it's pretty entertaining. Well, I, I, I've, I don't even worry about the war on drugs any longer. It's so absurd. It's just one of those things I've just accepted. As part yeah, of I don't, I don't do drugs. Nancy Reagan taught me not to do drugs, so uh, <laughs> I don't really have a horse in the race. But yeah, no, <laughs> I don't. Really, I'm too, I, I'm too cynical to give a shit anymore. I don't really care. Well, I mean, as long as you have people who aren't happy with their lot in life, you'll have people that try to escape via drugs. Yeah, it's just standard procedure, and it's a dangerous. It's a dangerous. I mean, whether it's alcohol, which for some reasons cooler than heroin but can lead to the same problems. Um, I mean, we'll always have that in society unless we focus on making people happier. And I think we should focus more on uh, psychotropic drugs to do that. I'm with you. Yeah, let's start pushing uh, mushrooms, LSD, peyote. I wonder if generally health of people living in Washington State will improve because they now have ready uh, access to marijuana in the near future you think i wonder i don't know I mean, maybe it'd be better as i said I've, i'd love to do drugs if i could trust the sources i just hate the idea of buying all this black market stuff because you ne- really never know what's going on with it and you can never be sure about the dosages on these things but if you can buy them from a regulated i mean just imagine if you could buy heroin that its quality was known and that you could dose yourself properly it'd be so it'd be such I mean, I think it'd be healthier for everybody well, because you could be sure not to overdose. Isn't that oxycotton? Isn't that? Vicodin? I mean, you can, but they, I mean, a lot of people do that. But the the problem is, they're not really the dosages aren't really set up for getting high. Uh, um, yeah. Thing, I think it'd be better for drug users if they could just get what they needed in dosages they know. I mean, overdosing is the main problem with overdosing. Is how do you know when you're buying stuff over the counter how potent it is? I mean, when you're buying stuff. From Mother Superior or whatever. How, it's all yeah. about, with all drugs, especially opiates, it's all about dosage. I mean, you want the euphoria, but you don't want to inhibit respiration enough where you die. So, yeah. I mean, that difference is not great. So, if you don't know what the concentration of active ingredients in, in, this, in the drugs are, you're just taking a guess because you don't want to use it and not get high. And you don't want to use it and not uh, stop breathing. It's just sort of a, it's a terrible game that we play with all these people's lives that need to use drugs because for whatever reason, their body tells them and their desires tell them that they must use drugs. It seems like it'd be so much better just give people quality drugs in known dosages and just let them use them. It seems like we'd save a lot of people a lot of hassle. So, okay, so we could go on and on about drugs and the use of drugs and, and all that, but as it relates to the movie... And what was the appeal, I guess, of this movie? Why was this movie? Did, did you like this the second time around? I, I don't. Think I really I liked, liked it as this. Much. Qu- I liked it quite a bit. I really enjoyed watching it this time. I think the characters are really great. I mean, I think that uh, all the actors did a wonderful job. I enjoyed. I enjoyed Sick Boy Johnny Lee Miller. Which the only thing I've ever think I've seen him in is uh, Hackers, or what was it called? Oh, I've never seen that. <laughs> is that what it's called? Never... Hackers with Angelina Jolie. Uh, yeah, I guess I never saw it. And Ewan McGregor's great. I mean, the whole cast is just fucking awesome. Uh, Robert Carlyle, he was the, I think I saw, I wasn't trying to think of the last movie I saw him in, was 28 Weeks Later. I don't know if you ever saw 28 Weeks Later. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. He does quite a bit of television. I enjoyed him on, um, what was it called? Uh, Stargate, uh, something or other. He's on some short Stargate Stargate. spinoff, which he was pretty good in that too. He's just a great actor. I've always thought Kelly McDonald's hot. She's still hot. She was. She's been in, I think, three or four seasons of Boardwalk Empire, which is a show I enjoy quite a bit. And she got her tits uh, out a couple times in that, right? Uh, yeah, but here you, you see the, 
the the full Monty here. Uh, Do you? Uh, There's Kelly no McDonald. full frontal with her in this movie, is there? And it's enough, man. She's like uh, nineteen. Look, I think she was. Don't bother me unless you got wide open beavers. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then she she's one of the Disney princesses. She played. Uh, I don't know the 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 movie that was set in Scotland. What was it called? Brave. Oh yeah, Brave. Mm-hmm. It was real right. subpar. I, I I wasn't convinced that there was actually bears in the Highlands of Scotland, uh, historically or otherwise. So I was I was calling that shit out. And uh, other, they were probably there historically, but actually they were probably there prehistorically. More than anything. Maybe. I, de- but I don't not think like they were back in the Middle Ages. Whatever. No, no, uh, it was sort of a subpar movie. It was all right. And uh, but I, I, I think I always I always I always had a crush on Kelly McDonald and uh, yeah. I mean it's a Scottish accent. Don't know. Yeah, she's pretty hot. So, so uh, let's yeah, talk no, about the whole cast. Scotland thing. I mean, what do you think let's about the talk setting? About the whole Scotland. Well, you, it's you, interesting. You you like Scotland, right? A little bit. I like Scotland a little bit. Uh, I like to drink Scotland a lot. I think that uh, may have been one of the reasons why I was a little hungover this morning. Mm. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting is is Scotland in this movie is economically depressed. And I've always had, I guess, maybe this uh, idea that, that Scotland's always gotten the kind of the hind end of the 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 industrial economic stick there and uh is that the right word hind end of the stick Bad sure end why of the not? stick whatever i mean they got a better end of the stick than ireland did yeah ireland's was but sort ireland of dregs, ireland right? got back at uh at the british empire so i yeah. guess it sort of makes up for all that a few a few a few uh yeah a few trucks parked in the right front of the right buildings here and there is that what you're talking about ira all that good stuff well, there's the IRA, but I'm talking about the Irish independence movement uh, in the early part of the oh, 1900s right. where they actually gained independence from the empire. Scotland just made a deal with England. Uh, well, they'd been colonized so long that I doubt people could tell the difference between what their heritage actually is. Plus, there, are a lot of, there was a lot of breeding out using English blood, which sort of makes the whole yeah. idea a little moot, which is the really the best way to con. That's how you, I mean, that's how it's been done through ages. You you breed your quant your conquests into permanency. And that's what yeah, I think uh, out in Scotland. Alexander the Great was good at that. And that was one of his specialties. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's well, kind of economically depressed Scotland. Cause I've been through Scotland. Uh, I've been to Glasgow, which is a lot more hard scrabble than Edinburgh where uh, train spotting took place. Uh, but driving like around Edinburgh or around Glasgow, you know, on the outskirts of the city, you see those big, tall—I don't know—almost want to call them uh, Eastern European style apartment buildings. You know, just those big block apartment buildings. And uh, well, you, can, you I saw that—you saw where Mother Superior lived in sort of a big, these big buildings. Yeah. And every time, like I see those in Scotland, I always think of train spotting. I always imagine a few junkies flopped out. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's a beautiful country, but some of the urban centers, you know, have had a real rough go of it. Real I, mean, I don't know, especially in Glasgow. Yeah, and, I didn't uh, spend much time in Glasgow, but Edinburgh is a fucking beautiful town. I couldn't Edinburgh imagine. Is amazing. I could I couldn't really imagine being sitting in a bar in Edinburgh and not being pleased about living in Edinburgh. Maybe after the second consecutive month of drizzly weather, maybe uh, yeah. it gets, gets to you a little bit. Well, Edinburgh is special. I mean, it's way more special than Glasgow because it's the capital and it's just the architecture is unbelievable. The castle, uh, did I already say the castle? The Royal Mile. Um, it's, It's just fantastic. And I would always find it hard to not have inspiration in living in a city like that. And when I mean inspiration, just like kind of being proud to live there. You know, where I walk around the cities in the U.S. and I just fucking go to pit. What a shithole. There's nothing redeeming about this fucking place. You could bulldoze this goddamn place tomorrow and nobody would give a rat's ass, you know. Uh, but Edinburgh is like the center of the Enlightenment, you know. Uh, just uh, there's some book out there called How Scots Invented the Modern World. And it talks about all the great inventors and scientists that came out of Scotland, like uh, Maxwell, Edward Maxwell. It's the reason I have a job right now. And uh, walk by like a statue of Maxwell in Edinburgh. There's his equations right there on the statue, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, it's kind of it's it's pretty wild just the amount of culture and, and intellect that's come out of such a small corner of the world. 
you know. Um, no matter where you live, if you don't have a decent job, it's sort of the shittiest place to be in the world and you'd rather you were anywhere else. That's true. That's right. Yeah, because, well, for starters, that's where you grew up and what you're used to. And so the familiarity, you lack any sort of, uh, what's the right word, exotic appeal to your hometown. Well, that, that, it's like got that. that going for it too. But, you know, if you can't have a decent apartment and a car, what's the point of living? No matter where you are at. What's the point? Heroin. I don't know. That's right. I don't know. We could go to some like far off Amazonian tribes. They might have, uh, you know, give us a little take on what's the point of living. Well, I guess all this discussion about the movie still hasn't really gotten to the heart of what I like about this movie. And I think maybe it's the incredibly deft hand of uh, Boyle. Danny Boyle is just an amazing director and he uses tons of inventive shots I mean, they got the in and out of the worst toilet in Scotland. You oh, have the whole sinking into the carpet business when he does the OD. You got tons of really inventive filmmaking. And yeah. it's just, I mean, I mean I, we've seen other Danny Boyle pieces. I mean, he's probably most famous for Slumdog Millionaire, correct? I didn't like that movie. Now, I didn't like fan. it either, but you got to admit, it's a great film to watch. It's really oh, yeah. exciting. It's got beautiful cinematography. I thought the character development was really good. Really interesting people. Uh, everything's everything. Uh, it's just it's just really great filmmaking. The problem I have with Slumdog Millionaire is its message. It has a absolutely idiotic message underlying all this beauty and skill. Agreed. And uh, if it wasn't for that, I would I would just be crazy in love with Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, the, the like uh, <laughs> the worst toilet in Scotland. Just a few anecdotes about that. Uh, chocolate was used as feces, so it actually smelled fine. It actually smelled pretty good. <laughs> mm. In all the scenes involving feces, because there was another famous scene involving feces. Oh, where Spud's Duke flings all over his uh, girlfriend's family there in the breakfast yeah. table. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine it was something along those lines. Uh, it, but also that toilet scene is a nod to a book I mentioned, I think, a few podcasts ago, Tom and Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow, which is one of the most hardest books to read ever. I, hmm. I don't know where that reference came from. It almost makes me want to read the book, but I probably won't do it. Oh, you haven't so, read it? Uh, no, no. Um, there's that. There's the scenes with Bigby that are great. Like I like when he throws the, the mug over his back shoulder, and then it just freezes frame freezes for a second or two and then they go to a flashback what's that and then they go to a flashback and then they come back about three minutes later to the exact same freeze frame it's beautifully done oh yeah yeah that's the scene where uh he's in the pool hall and Mm -hmm. the guy the guy makes him fuck up his shot and then he beats the living shit out of him Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean that's just that's just amazing that's just amazing editing work uh, and it's a great vision of Boyle, which I think is probably There's one of the, the great uh, film greatest scene scenes. with uh, Renton coming off a of junk and uh, having all those hallucinations with Baby Don crawling across the uh, ceiling. And it's not really Baby Don. It's like a distortion of Baby Don. It's mm-hmm. just totally creepy. The room kind of extends out. Uh, he has all those visions of friends saying weird stuff. Yeah, him. I mean, there's that great scene where the room expands and there's uh, the room actually expands and there's a little bit of a push-pull going on to sort of make it disconcerting. There's the amazing scene, which is all one take, where Bagby shows up under the sheets and then disappears. And I think it's all done practically, just with a little sleight of hand. But it's all one oh, shot. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's just beautiful. That's right. Absolutely gorgeous. That, He's even smoking nice. a cigarette under the sheets. <laughs> just gore- gorgeous creative filmmaking. It's, and I think that's one of the... That and the performances and sort of the, you know, patting me on the back that I'm right, that the world's a terrible place, all <laughs> together just still speaks to me and I still really enjoy it all all around. Uh, so uh, one thing I'd like to point out is what the fuck, why is this film called Trainspotting? I've read some things online, but it never make, doesn't make any sense to me. I, uh, I guess I always I, thought that... Um, had some reference to using heroin, like finding veins was train spotting. I think I heard that somewhere. Is that is that? Yeah, true? I heard that too. And then I read that in Scotland, uh, junkies would 
would shoot up at a bathroom in a train station. And so people would ask, where are you going? And then I'd be like, I'm going train spotting. Uh, there's an interesting, I don't know, nod to that, but in Renton's bedroom, he has train wallpaper. I don't know if you looked at that, but he had trains on his wallpaper. Oh, the child, the children's wallpaper, yeah. Yeah, I thought that might have had something to do with it. Uh, train spotting is actually a thing, and it's uh, kind of a bird-watching type activity, uh, usually engaged uh, by men who are sort of have that compunction, who have that kind of fascination with, um, I guess, that hardware. So uh, shall we get into the review? Uh, Ebert reviewed this movie when it came out back in 1996. He starts off um, the review summing up some of the uh, the main central theme of this movie, which is addiction. Um, he says, those who have ventured into the dark corners of addiction know that one of its few consolations, once the fun is worn off, is the camaraderie with fellow practitioners. No matter how well the addict may seem to be functioning, there is always the secret agenda, the knowledge that the drug of choice is more important than the mundane business at hand, such as friends family jobs, play, or sex. He says, among these people, there is a uh, shared humor, and there's even a belief that all the lies and evasions that are necessary uh, in order to maintain your addiction. And he says that train spotting knows this, this truth in its very bones, and um, that the movie can be seen and has been seen as both pro-drug and anti-drug. But he says it's actually simply pragmatic about drug use which I think is a nice take on it. Um, and that uh, one of the things about being a drug addict, this is what Ebert says. I don't know if he has any experience with being a drug addict. Is that is the one of the, one of the big benefits is the sense of camaraderie you get with other addicts that the straight world just doesn't get it. Doesn't understand that the disease is life and that the treatment is another drink or I guess whatever your drug of choice is. And he goes into the, just summarizing the um, the movie and making some comments on some of the colorful characters, which he enjoyed. But I think getting down to the, the meat of it, he, he really summarizes this in his last four sentences here, which is a take that maybe we didn't quite come out and say, though maybe we beat around the bush a bit. It says, um, does this movie lead anywhere? Say anything? Not really. Yeah, that's see, that's kind of... That's what I was trying to, the whole podcast, trying to bring up and lay bare and discuss. And, you know, with drugs, it's so easy to tell a morality tale. It's ridiculous. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't take much to uh, uh, do the whole drugs are bad kids, you mm-hmm. know, like the war is hell movies. It's it's uh, it doesn't follow that line. Uh, it's it's a story that's set in the world of drugs, but it mm-hmm. doesn't really make a call it depicts drugs drug life as bad in certain instances but as a young kid it doesn't necessarily tarnish it to the point that you would uh you know avoid it i think yeah i think he sums up the movie and drug use that it's not linear but circular you never get anywhere unless you keep returning to the starting point and I think that's sort of an interesting thing. And that sort of sums up the feeling I got from the end of the movie that I couldn't quite vocalize that there's not really any meaningful change other than the fact that being clean for a while. And I think that's a lot of people who are junkies, this sort of endless cycle of, of kicking it and then falling into it again is part of the drug use pattern is that you have to spend time, time away from it and return to it. And that's just part of life as a junkie. Well, I think, uh, you know, for a lot of people who uh, are dealing with, like, depression issues and, you know, kind of the what I would call maybe sort of the cutting, you know, people who cut, usually women, you know, like, just they got to feel something, they're kind of dead inside, and, you know, it's like sort of some kind of self-punishment. Maybe heroin fills that niche. It it sort of fills, like, uh, a need to feel you know, good or bad, like the extremes are, 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 are really 
heightened under heroin. When you feel bad on heroin, you really feel bad. When you feel good on heroin, you really feel good. And it's something that adds dynamic range to perhaps an otherwise dull or intolerable, depressing life, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a little bit of of its appeal. Certainly. I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, anyway, but it's a it's a good movie. I guess I enjoyed it at a certain level, and I think it's more now that I have nostalgia for Scotland than anything. Mm. So it's good to see. You know, it's good to hear the Scottish accent. It's good to see the Scottish sights. Uh, you know, get windows into into that culture a little bit. I don't know why. I I, I well, I drink a lot of scotch. I think that was my intro, introduction to the country of Scotland. But uh, going there a couple of times, I I. I never find anything bad about it, so uh, I just, I don't know. I love that country, but uh, Train Spotting, good movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Beautiful, beautiful, colorful film. All right, so uh, next week we're going to go back to Britain for... Uh, yeah, we are. Fun. We're going to go back to London. <laughs> well, it's part of my, it's my favorite, one of my favorites uh, cycle, film's choice yeah. cycle, and we're going to be doing... Um, Alfonso Cuarón's uh, Children of Men from 2006. And I guess this is another sort of desperate tale. But well, it's another it's beautifully directed film. Absolutely. Yeah, it's from interesting. a really talented, talented director. There's a lot. I like, uh, like British apocalyptic tales for some reason. Like Britain in the apocalypse, I find less cliched than U.S. depictions of the apocalypse. And maybe it's, it's, there's more nuance there. It's a smaller country. Not quite so sure. But this is a, a, an interesting take on it. I've heard that the movie is far better than the novel. <laughs> really? Far more exciting than the novel. Mm. Yeah, Luke Burridge, uh, who does the Science Fiction Film Review Podcast, which I recommend everybody hit up here at some point, uh, reviewed the book and said, you know what? It's just not as exciting, not as interesting as the as the the novel, the novel really kind of ups the desperation and and makes it really uh, more visceral. So, so you mean the movie makes it the desperation? Yeah, the movie right? is that what I said? Yeah, so, would you would you call this science fiction? Oh yeah, I mean it's sort of futurism, fiction. but is it really science fiction? I guess no, it's skeptical. It's skeptical. It's I mean it's uh, uh, or speculative uh, mm-hmm. fiction it, uh, on on a on a future disease that. Uh, could upend, uh, you know, um, society in a way that that we don't necessarily. It's like a slow apocalypse, which I find an interesting idea. But it's you know, a great piece of speculative fiction. Most people would categorize yeah, it, it as science fiction, but uh, it's well, I, it's, it's wonderful for what it is. You know, you could, you know, like Margaret Atwood. I always have a beef with beef with because she's a sci-fi writer, but she says she's a speculative fiction writer, and I think it's just a marketing tool because she likes to think herself of herself above science fiction. But it's it's fucking science fiction. I've never seen any cat people with lasers in any of her films or books. I mean, I I read one book where you could almost put cat people and lasers in it, and it would almost work. So. Uh, yeah, don't 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 think you're above the cat people and lasers, folks. When you're writing sci-fi, we're none of us are above that. Nobody is above cat people and lasers or <laughs> lizard men in metal bikinis. Don't even think of it. Oh, hot female lizard women mm. uh, with uh, in metal bikini. Ooh, yeah, you could just you could collapse it all into one meme, like lizard <laughs> cats in metal bikinis with laser guns well you got look man you got to go write an outline of that book right now i think i smell a series that's gonna just gonna sell like hotcakes oh my god yeah i'll be up there with uh, william shatner's tech wars just put a young teenage girl and some vampires in it and that thing's gonna move that's so five years ago dude that's over now it's all Uh, putting young teenage girls with bows and arrows in dystopian uh yeah quasi 1984 type of societies and ruled over by bikini wearing cat reptile women (laughs) yeah right see i mean you're never above it you're never above these things just write themselves i know but there is no uh cat people in children of men uh just uh just just a lot of awesome clive owenness Uh, oh there's just beautiful direction that's that's another main theme i think in this film yeah, and it gets the action right. One of the few oh, movies yeah. where action is done in such a way that uh, 
really brings you into it, and it's not superfluous bullshit action that we constantly get today. Like the action has consequences, and you're totally engaged in it, and it feels super real. It's amazing. I mean, the stuff. violence in it is is feels so visceral and real that it it really it's almost like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. Just oh, how yeah. real the danger feels, right? In that right. little long single shot in the film, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some length. Yeah. Next oh, yeah. week. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it now. So, uh, anyway, until next week. Pardon me, may I use your bathroom? Thank you. 